Thank you for downloading Pride, Scotland's March for Equality with PinkSaltire.com. Now, Mickey, Pink Saltire are lifting the voices of LGBT people from cities to the islands. Whoever you are, they are your community champion. Even if you're a fifer like me. And uh, you can find out more about the charity by heading to the dedicated web hub at pinksaltire.com. Pride. Scotland's March for Equality. We're back. Hello. Hey, I can't believe we made it to three podcasts. I thought we were getting shelved after the first one. I can't believe we've still got a job after some of the stories <laughs> we've told. <laughs> well, here we are. Uh, I'm Mickey. I'm Grant. And it's podcast three. And I thought we'd start off lighthearted by talking about gay tribes. Oh, now, see, I'm not very good with this one. I'm not good with this one. And you're going to have to kind of explain most of this to me because I, I get confused. I don't know what I am. Well, I'll, I'll describe some of them. And right, uh, okay. I'll, I'll give you the, the tribe first of all. And if you know what it is, just shout out. Okay. Now, a bear. <laughs> oh, now, a bear is a, is a guy uh, usually has a beard and um, it built like me. Uh, well, uh, what it says in front of me, I've got the actual definitions. Oh. Uh, an older, broader, hairier man. <laughs> <laughs> right, who, okay. Now, this is the best bit. Who, unlike his namesake, does not need to hibernate because bears normally <laughs> come out at night. Oh, nice one. Right, so bear. Well, here's the one that I would describe myself as kind of. Uh, yeah. Twink. <laughs> no, right. no, those those days are gone. Those I'll, days are behind you. I'll describe it to you, and you can tell me what part of this is true. A younger, smoother gay man. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> so we spoke about a bear earlier. Now, do you yeah. know what an otter is? Right, is an otter is an otter a young bear? I know that doesn't make any sense because obviously a young bear is a cub. Oh wait a minute, that's coming up later as well. So a cub is coming up later. An otter is a, is a thinner, younger version of the bear, and a cub would be not as thin. What? <laughs> oh, what, what if you lose weight? Do you change? Uh, well, I think you can change your tribe if you want. Yeah. I mean, can I go from a bear to a cub if I go in the Scottish slimmers? Is that what we're saying? I mean, I've got a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> I got this list um, off Grinder, by the way. Um, so we're on here, uh, we have... Would you like me to just go through some of them? You can ask any yeah, questions. Go on, go on. Uh, so we've got bear, clean-cut, daddy, discreet, geek, jock, leather, otter, rugged, and twink. Nah, they're all self-explanatory, yeah, I think, yeah. aren't they? They're okay. So do, do these tribes uh, only apply to gay men, then? Well, yeah, actually, I think so, because it doesn't seem to be any lesbian equivalent. Well, not animal-related ones, anyway. Um, you've got femme and lipstick uh, mm. lesbians, or butch is all I really could find. So there's no there's no otter, female otters or bears or lionesses? I mean, lionesses. I, su- I suppose there could be. Yeah, I suppose there could be, if they want to be. Um, now, this is, is something that's in the, the LGBT community. I mean, we do refer to ourselves. Well, I refer to myself as a twink far too often, actually. Um, and For the last 30 years, I think. Would you ever think any of these are slurs? Um, I, I think if you thought yourself as a twink and somebody said you were a bear, you might you might take umbrage at that. But I, no, I wouldn't have thought so. I take offence when people say I'm not a twink. <laughs> You know, sometimes being gay is quite a laugh, isn't it? Like actually putting yourself into one of these tribes. Well, yeah, especially when you're winding up the boss and you're trying to explain to him uh, all these different things. His wee face was lighting up. And I, think he went, he was, I think he was getting his application form ready, if I'm honest. I think we found out that he would be in the otter category. Well, he thinks anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have a lot of fun being gay. We've been doing stuff like this. So do you like being gay? Do, do I like being gay? Well, I... <laughs> I guess uh, I, I suppose I do. Um, it is one of these things, isn't it, where you, you don't really kind of, you don't know what it's like not to be. So I'm, I'm guessing um, this is as good as it gets. But um, yeah, I, I think so. I think um, 
it's not like that for everybody because a, a lot of people yeah. have, have real issues, um, you know, either either coming to terms with it themselves or maybe issues that they have from their peers or their family um, of acceptance. But um, generally, I'd, I'd say I was pretty happy. What about you? Yeah, 100%. And as you said there, yeah, I don't know any different and I'm having a lot of fun. And as Kim Petras said earlier when we spoke to her, gays have more fun. <laughs> Is that not blondes? I've changed it, all right? Gays have more fun. <laughs> Blonde gays have a great time. Attitudes towards pride or, or being gay over the years, how do you think it has changed in your opinion? Do you think there's still issues even with, with simple things that a lot of people take for granted? Going to the doctors, for example? Yes. Now, I'm going to give you two examples here, right? Because one experience I had of, of going to the doctors, going to the, the special clinic that we go to sometimes. Speak for yourself. I've never been near the special clinic in my life. Your number's on the sheet you've, when you go in. You've got, you've got your own parking space. So there's sometimes you go for a wee checkup, especially if you've um, you know uh, had fun at the weekend. And there was one You're time a nightmare. There was one one time I went and um, um, I, I had to get some treatment. I, I, I can't believe I'm out myself for this on this podcast. But here we go. I've done. I've started now. I have to finish. And uh, the lady who who saw me, the nurse, was absolutely amazing. And she was, I would say, she was over sixty. And as you can imagine, I was quite nervous because I'd never really been in that position before. Believe it or not, I'd never been in that position before. And um, I thought she was going to be quite old-fashioned. I thought I was going to get a lecture. I thought I was going to be handed a leaflet and told to sit down. But she couldn't have been nicer. We actually had a right laugh. And she was making all sorts of, um, I'm going to say inappropriate jokes now. I've, I've said enough. I'm not going to tell you exactly what she said. But she was making a lot of jokes, a lot of innuendos. And actually, just made me feel really comfortable and took away any embarrassment or shame that I shouldn't have had, but I might have had, had she been what I'd worked her up to be in my head. But she was absolutely lovely. And so to put that in contrast, when I first went for my first ever um, sexual health check, um, there was a big drive at the time uh, for vaccinating gay men against hep C. Right. And actually, I'm pretty sure it's, uh, it's, all, it's all HEPs. It's hep A, B and C you get vaccinated for. But it's, it's a three-stage uh, treatment, so you have to go back three times. I went back to get the third booster jag, and uh, the nurse who, when she took me in, went, oh, why are you getting this? And I was only maybe 18, 19, so I was a bit shy and I didn't say anything. She went, I mean, do you work in a high-risk category? And then she looked at me and went, oh, oh, is it maybe a lifestyle choice why you're getting this? And that's not a big, it's not a big thing to me now, but actually thinking back on that, no, it's not, it, it, it's, I'm gay. True, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a fair point, it's a fair point. See, this is all new to me. Like, I mean, I know I've been kind of, I've been around for for hundreds of years and stuff, but this is all new to me. All, all this kind of, all this side of things. I don't think I've ever been near a clinic in my life. You this really should whole, go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit late now. This is. I mean, I've been married for two years. I mean, all that stuff doesn't go on anymore. There's like a whole new world. Seriously, it's a big issue. And twenty four percent of uh, LGBT people say actually they had witnessed negative remarks from healthcare staff whilst ac- accessing services, which is horrific. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you think that that's that is the the job of that clinic, you know, and that, that's what they're there to do, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And you feel that actually you don't go to the, you go to the doctors because you go to be fixed. You don't go to feel awkward or feel like don't place. judge me. I know I get judged enough at home. Thank you very much. And at work, twelve uh, percent say that they've avoided treatment altogether for uh, fear of discrimination that they might face. And of those who do seek support, 13% have experienced some form of unequal treatment uh, from staff because of their sexual orientation or gender identity, which is just crazy. 
And actually, I think sometimes it's about education. I don't think that nurses and doctors go out to make you feel awkward, but I think yeah. if we can get some education into the health service, just just think before you sometimes speak about stuff like this, because 27% have experienced healthcare staff lacking understanding of their specific needs. And actually, here's a great example from Meg McHugh. Now, she's from Hitchchilled, mm-hmm. and she's got a podcast. Recently, she had an episode where she talked to a trans man called Indy, and here was his experience of going to a doctor for treatment. So when I went to my GP, my- my NHS GP, um, I gave her a 60 page document on how to treat a trans patient because she didn't have a clue and she didn't want to help me. You gave her that? I gave her that and I highlighted the bits that were relevant to my care. Oh my God, that's <laughs> insane. Well, yeah, I think it's because it's like not um, physical, that it's, it's a similar stigmatization as like mental health because it's not a physical like issue. It can be like swept under the rug because they can't physically see what's going on. So they just kind of like invalidate it or yeah, yeah, they, yeah, want, yeah. they want like more proof. Now I'm sure not all GPs, in fact, I know all GPs are not the same and you'll get some who are absolutely brilliant, but how ridiculous is that? You've got to tell your doctor how to treat you. Can you imagine, can you imagine that? Just how you would feel? I can't imagine going into my doctor and having to tell him how to treat me. I, I just, no, it's horrible. You can hear more from Indy on Meg's podcast, McHugh Corner. Pride, Scotland's March for Equality. So, Mickey, we talked about a lot in this podcast, episode three. <laughs> We're getting there. Actually, I really wanted to bring this up, and I wanted to talk about sex education in high school. Nah. Now, did you get sex education in high school? Um, no, not really. I mean, we, we did get about the uh, about the bee pollinating the stamen or something like that. I can't remember. It was science. It was uh, it was science in like second year, and it was section six point six. Uh, I remember that because everybody's looking forward to it, and there really wasn't much about it at all, um, and certainly no kind of proper sex education as, as such. Yeah, I'm the same. Now we had that famous video that everybody got told you watched in second year, which was the video of the of the lady giving birth. Oh no, no, we got that. Yeah, Oof. yeah. Everybody, I passed, I passed out, and that was pretty much it. We then got a, a little bit about um, male hygiene, which let me tell you, some of the males in my class really needed. And, Is that right? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, we had a little bit about um, how to put a condom on using a test tube. Oh, we had none of that. Apparently back in the day they used to use a banana, but that was a bit too rude. Chipolata would be more the right size for me. No, but, but I tell you, we didn't get any of that, though. And I, I don't know whether it's because of the type of school I was at, if you know what I'm saying. But we, we didn't, we, there was there was nothing about condoms or, or uh, LGBT or any of that at, at my school at all. Well, I was going to say, there certainly was nothing about gay relationships. I think once it might have been brushed over. And when I say brushed over, it was, oh, you know, obviously this is different uh, if you're in a gay relationship. And then it was moved on. And I don't know if that was because the teachers weren't comfortable Mm. teaching it or if they just didn't know to teach it. But I think had that been openly discussed in the classroom, it probably would have made my life in second, third year a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, no, I do agree. I mean, I kind of grew up, um, what, probably about... 10 years before you, maybe? Yeah. How, how old are you? 30. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 10 or so years before you. Um, but we still had, um, at the time, we still had Section 28, so there wasn't really any talk um, of LGBT anything um, at school. So, um, so yeah, I, I, and I think when you were growing up at that point and you knew you were different and you kind of knew in your head what was going on, uh, but there was no way, there was no way we were going to discuss it and there was no way I was going to tell anybody. And um, there was just really me and my best pal who who both kind of knew, but again, never spoke about it. Well, I, no, I totally agree with what you're saying there. And actually, if that had been taught, you would maybe feel less different because it was being normalised by being talked about in the classroom. 
I think so, yeah. And I think it's 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 as much for the benefit of somebody who is LGBT as somebody who isn't. Because I think at that age, um, and you're probably that age in high school where, where somebody's going to try and take the mic. You know what you're like. You're kind of like 13-year-old lads. He's, he's gay or whatever. But I, I think if it was kind of taught um, at school and, and it was kind of this is this is normal, this is every day, it just happens not to be you. I think people would get over all that, and I don't think it would be such a big drama for people to find out that somebody was gay in their class. Yeah, totally. And learning about gay relationships isn't going to make you gay. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I learned lots about straight relationships. My mum and dad are straight, but it didn't turn me straight. Exactly. So there was sex education in school, but no mention of LGBT relationships. Did you have mm. any mention of LGBT history in schools? No, I don't think we did. I mean, I, I, I actually, in my head, cannot think of... Um, any sort of uh, LGBT history that, that that we would have got, but then I guess they weren't allowed to back back in those days. Well, they weren't allowed to when I was at school, but I'm the same as you. I don't remember anything ever being taught. And actually, the only bit of LGBT history I started to learn was when I went and researched it myself mm. and found out about the Stonewall Inn, about the Stonewall riots. And then it was actually one of the first Glasgow Prides I went to where someone mentioned Stonewall. I went, oh, what is Stonewall? And then went and researched it. So I had to do all the work myself. Uh, do you think we should be teaching that in schools, the history of the LGBT well, society? Do you know, I think it's important. I think it's it's important um, to teach LGBT history and, and, and where the movement has been, where it's come to and why why it's grown over the years. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's the same for um, it's the same for the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement. I think, you know, all these things are people need to know about them. And, and I think the problem that we've got in history um, and it might still be the same, but but I remember back in the time. When I was at school, history was always about, oh, and we had this war back in 1066, and then the Jacobites did this. And it's it's like, yeah, okay, it's relevant, but the history's all stuck in a certain era. It's all stuck in the past history. That's the problem with it. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, but history kind of, it, it celebrates battles and, and all that stuff that, you know, that, yeah, okay, it's relevant, it has its place. But there are people throughout history that we maybe don't talk about that maybe we should be. And actually, yeah, there's parts of society that I would like to know, why is this like this? Why does this happen? And there's parts of society we don't, we were never taught in school and you have to go research yourself. I think actually nobody should be teaching this. And you caught up with someone actually who knows a lot more about this than we do. Yeah, I caught up with Jordan Daly and he's with the uh, Thai campaign, which is Time for Inclusive Education. And they've been working really, really hard uh, to get more LGBT history uh, included in the school's curriculum. So uh, Time for Inclusive Education is a charity that works in schools and with the Scottish Government and Scottish Parliament, national decision makers, uh, school teachers and young people to address uh, homophobia, biphobia and transphobia using an educational approach. So the whole ethos is that, you know, for generations, uh, LGBT people have often had quite a difficult time at school or experienced bullying or exclusion. And the whole idea is that we take an educational approach to try and address some of those prejudices and stigmas uh, before they arise. So what that means in practice is that we deliver uh, uh, training seminars to teachers which uh, make them aware how to include uh, different uh, LGBT themes within their classroom content. So from including kind of key LGBT historical figures um, across different subject areas to teaching about equality and prejudice and bullying, uh, ensuring there's diverse family types within uh, curricular content. So really 
In a nutshell, the whole ethos of Thai is if we integrate LGBT history, people, voices, themes across the curriculum, um, then we kind of we, we start to take real and meaningful steps to uh, tackling that stigma and otherization, which leads to bullying in schools. Now, to a lot of people, um, they might be be listening and going, "Well, that's fairly obvious," but I'm kind of old enough to remember Section Twenty Eight, and it wasn't yeah. that long ago. Yeah. So, yeah. So Section 28 was a horrific uh, piece of legislation which was introduced in the 1980s. And what it effectively did was it prohibited the, uh, quote, promotion of homosexuality as a pretended family relationship. Uh, within schools across the UK. The impact that this effectively had was almost a culture of silence when it mm. came to uh, teaching or talking about gay and lesbian issues with young people in schools. Um, there was fierce opposition to Section 28 and it was eventually repealed in Scotland in the year 2000. Uh, so I'm 25 now. Uh, the year 2000 was the year that I entered primary one uh, in, in Scottish education. And, you know, I've often said that Section 28 may well have still been in place because I went through my whole entire time in Scottish mm. education right up until I left in sixth year and never once did I hear anything about the LGBT community. I never learned about, you know, our history. I didn't learn about my rights as a gay person. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've, we started our work in 2015. Uh, our campaign was successful in 2018 and Scotland became the first country in the world to agree to implement uh, LGBT themes across the curriculum. Um, so it's really kind of been a modern development. But, I th- you know, I think if you speak to most LGBT LGBT people uh, of my generation and older, they will tell you that they went through their entire time at school and, and really didn't learn anything about about themselves. It's crazy because actually you're the age now that I was when when Section 28 got abolished. So it's it's kind of mm. it's it's great to know that there is actually a generation growing up now where where that Section 28 just wasn't a thing, you know. And it, yeah. it's it's amazing how far we've come, but there's still yeah, a way to know, go, isn't there? And it's things like that that ultimately encompass, you know, the the practicalities of what LGBT inclusive education is. Young Mm. people should know uh, about that law, about the climate that created that law and about the efforts of the, you know, the activists and campaigners that worked quite hard to get that law repealed. Um, It's it's a part of our history. It's a part of our, you know, the, the... the, the fabric of our society ultimately obviously this is an amazing change to get lgbt information into schools but when there's big steps forward like this there's always some negativity and there's always people who are scared of change so i spoke to mp patrick harvey and we're going to get him on again to talk about the negative comments people might be making about this change patrick what do you have to say to some people who claim that teaching lgbt issues in schools will confuse children or even like make them turn gay or trans i know that's ludicrous uh, but it's been said i i think there are a few people saying that and uh these kind of spurious arguments about protecting our children this kind of notion that if you even talk about this uh, it will suddenly uh you know turn everybody gay which is it is complete nonsense of course uh, but it taps into that kind of fear that they have uh, and that kind of stuff again is being uh, rehashed and recycled in relation to to trans people at the at the moment, and this idea that if we if we just acknowledge that that uh, sex and gender are diverse and that they're not the same thing, and that people get to define themselves, and we should all respect that, um, you know, if if we even talk about that and acknowledge it, then suddenly, uh, you know, huge numbers of people are, are suddenly going to be trans. Well, 
uh, a significant number of people who were trans and who would otherwise have, have uh, never been able to turn that into a reality in their lives, never been able to acknowledge that and speak about their, their lives and, and, and who they are openly, might be able to talk about it. So maybe you'll, you'll hear more people talking about who they really are and who they were all along. But that, that's a good thing. That, that doesn't mean that, that human beings are, are fundamentally changing, except becoming freer and, and more open about who they are. Pride. Scotland's March for Equality. You're listening to Pride, Scotland's March for Equality with PinkSaltire.com. Now, Pink Saltire are empowering those most marginalised, offering a space to be heard and leading change in their communities. And you can find out more about the charity and the inspiring work they do. Honestly, they are amazing. Head to PinkSaltire.com. Pride. Scotland's March for Equality. So the future of Pride, we've had a, a lot of chat over the last few podcasts about this. What, what do you reckon then? What, do, you, do you think Pride's got a future? Do you think it needs a future? Well, not this year, um, but no, next no. year. <laughs> and actually, that, that's got me quite down this year, the fact that there's not been a Pride. And the reason for that is I, I quite like a day or two days, or in my case, two weeks, of celebrating being gay and seeing everybody from every single walk of the community out there and celebrating who they are. And the fact that we haven't had that this year, I think it's a, a massive miss. And obviously, the, uh, the the COVID situation has, has put paid to a lot of a lot of things happening this year. What what do you think the kind of need for pride going forward, Grant? So there always will be a need for pride because we are always going to be different. You're always going to get people that are going to stand in a way. People that just won't just don't like gays. You're always going to get yeah. that, and you're always going to be have to educating people on what's right and what's wrong when it comes to the LGBT community. And also, I, I like the party. I like the celebration. I don't want to give that up. <laughs> Uh, for me, I think, I mean, sadly, there is there is a need for Pride um, at the moment. And if you look at, you know, Pride marches happen all around the world and it's not necessarily just about what's happening in your own country. Because you hear people saying, well, what do you need a Pride march for? Because you can get married yeah. now. And you're like, well, yes, yes, you can you can get married now in Scotland. There's equal marriage. But there are still areas around the world that, that need a bit of attention. And I think as long as that is going on, there needs to be a pride movement because there are some people in some countries who aren't allowed to express themselves. They're not allowed to have a march. They're not allowed to be themselves. And I, I think they need other people to, to raise awareness of that and, and basically stand up for them, defend their rights. Exactly, because if you look at years ago, it was uh, people over in America. It was, you know, the, the Stonewall riots that really started it all off for us. Now we need to stand up because there's people in Poland who they've got LGBT free mm-hmm. zones in Poland. At the moment. Imagine having that, an area where you're, you can't be gay in a country that supposedly accepts LGBT rights. And it's absolutely crazy. And there's there's various countries like that in the world where you could still, in some places, um, be put to death for being gay, which just seems absolutely crazy when, you know, when we think we've been talking about education in schools and, and how far we've come. But there are still countries in the world where, where that, sadly, doesn't happen. So I know that I've joked about it and said I don't want to give up the party. Yeah, that's a big part for it for me. I would love to get to a point where we don't need pride because there's no more prejudice against mm. us and there's there's no more need to educate because everyone gets along. We're all big, one happy family. Do I think that'll happen? Not in my lifetime, no, but I really I hope it does happen. In that sense, yeah, I hope we don't have a need for pride, but I still want to have the, the sense of the community gathering and us all being together. You just want the party. I do want the party. Is it obvious? I just don't want the party. <laughs> I've got face paint from this year I've not been able to use. I need to get it used. <laughs> so, you know, when I'm here banging on about a party, there actually are mm. people um, doing hard work, planning Pride for the future. And uh, here's someone who's been involved in so many Pride marches and Pride events across Scotland. Uh, let's speak to Stuart from Pink Saltire. 
we're a, a national LGBT charity, but we're based in Fife. And we started the, the charity about four or five years ago now. Um, and, it, and it's really to try and give voice and representation to people who are not from the cities, actually, and from more rural and suburban parts of Scotland, which is really the majority of the country. Um, some of us that, that helped form the, the charity found that our experiences growing up in places like Fife were very different to people who lived in the cities. And we also saw some of our LGBT friends and family moving from the countryside and, and places um, you know, further north to Edinburgh and Glasgow as well. And so we wanted to try and understand why that was and to try and give more representation to their views and some of the challenges and barriers that they face in more rural parts of Scotland. So all of our work is, is really about localism and about community and we've uh, over the last few years tried to really champion community voices uh, and we also try and get out there to local events we try and support organizations who are putting on maybe new pride events uh, to try and make sure that there's representation in every corner of the country. Stuart I grew up in Fife and uh, in my time I was the only gay in Glenrothes are you telling me that Fife's got gays now? It does have gays, and I'll tell you, there's plenty of them. We uh, we were the founders of uh, Fife Pride in 2017. It's the first time we'd ever done a Pride event here in Fife. And we expected maybe about four or 500 people to come along at the first event. And we were blown away when about three and a half thousand people turned up in the town square in Kirkcaldy. So yes, there's plenty gays in Fife. Stu, you were saying um, earlier about, you know, the, the city's been very different to places like Cowdenbeath, to Glenrothes. Um, what are you actively doing? Because I, I remember growing up, I'm from Stirling, so nearly the same. I mean, Stirling's obviously a, a wee bit bigger. But there was this big drive to move to Glasgow, to move to Edinburgh, because for a start, there was there was more gay people there. That's where the bars were. That's where the nightlife was. Yeah, that's right. And I, I mean, the, what we're trying to do is is not necessarily rep, replicate what's available in in some of the cities. People will always gravitate towards you know bigger metropolis. Mm-hmm. There's more. Sometimes there's more anonymity, and some people like that. Um, you know, not everyone in the, the town or the village knowing your business. And, and sometimes in rural places, that's often a factor. But you know, there's there's lots of services that are, that are out there in smaller communities like sports groups. Um, you, we were talking earlier on this week actually about uh, a new job club here in Fife looking at trying to uh, ensure that people that are LGBT have opportunities to get into work and you know have some support to get out there because there's there's statistics out there that are, that are really worrying about things like unemployment rates amongst LGBT people which are three times higher this is pre-COVID of course uh, three times higher than the national average so we're trying to work with local councils and different agencies to understand why that is and what are the real barriers and challenges for LGBT people wherever they they, they live, uh, and and how what are the you know what are the solutions to help address some of them. Uh, so Stuart, we touched it on um, five prides. Um, now you've set up um, loads of pride marches um, across the country. How many pride marches have you been involved in? Oh, um, so <laughs> yeah, we we started. We had our first foray into pride events back in 2017, as I say, with Fife Pride in Um From there, we uh, that that same year actually, we got started on events in Dundee, in Perth and Kinross. Uh, we supported uh, an organisation called Four Pillars in Aberdeen to get a new Grampian Pride up and running. Um, my goodness, where are we now? 2018 and 2019, there was more. Uh, island and rural prides that, that got started so uh, i've got actually a list in front of me here in 2018 we had some awesome events in uh, dumfries and the isle of butte 
uh, even uh, the Hebrides had their first Pride in 2018. And then last year, there was a record-breaking 21 Prides across the country. Now, that doesn't sound very much, but if you, if you just rewind three or four years back to 2016, there were only four. So it's a huge growth in the number of Pride events across the country. Uh, and, and most of them focused on those smaller, uh, more rural communities, which is great to see. So are the Pride different in each town? So, or do you take the same format and take it to like the Isle of Butte, to Grampian Pride? Um, they have a similar format, I guess. You know, a Pride is about marching for your rights, really, and protesting. And and so that 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 spirit of Pride continues wherever that there is a Pride march. However, different communities take different approaches. We're we're definitely not about you know coming in in a helicopter and you know landing and and you know just delivering the same. Pride event all across the country. We're about supporting the communities to do something that actually, you know, suits them. What's what's comfortable for their community to do. So in Perth and Canoss, for example, in their first year, the community gave us the feedback that they weren't comfortable actually walking through Perth Town Centre where, you know, flags flying high and in that first year. And that's OK. So they had, you know, a, a kind of community festival event in the heritage quarter of the city. And that was brilliant. They had thousands of people attend and, and that gave them the confidence the next year to go forward. And, well, they, they blew the, the roof down actually in 2019 because they had Sirian McKellen leading the parade. So Gandalf returned to the Shire. <laughs> You know, you, you talked about um, kind of rural communities. Do you think it's harder for people to to come out in rural communities because they, they kind of know everybody in the village and, and, you know, people might know their parents or whatever? Is it is it more difficult, do you think, than being in the city? It definitely can be. But, I, I mean, there are organisations now in almost every local authority area that are locally run, locally organised, run by volunteers who are trying to tackle exactly those types of issues to try and understand what the barriers are for people and why they feel that they can't come out and and you know often it's about just not knowing someone in your immediate uh, friend circle or family that is LGBT and and you know we're seeing some of that through just now with the trans uh, the gender recognition reforms and and a lot of trans people that you know for a start there aren't lots of trans people across Scotland so in terms of understanding what some of those issues are and the barriers that, that trans people face you've usually got to know someone and and that's really really difficult for a lot of people then to be able to appreciate some of the the challenges that they face and then to be able to support some of the reforms if they don't know someone or haven't been educated into into some of those challenges. So Stuart, tell us, in Scotland, how can we be more accepting of LGBT people? That's uh, that's a hard one, actually. So I, I think Scotland's already a very accepting and welcoming place. Um, you know, we we see examples just coming through our charity of you know asylum seekers and people who want to make their lives here in Scotland. Um, so we are seen internationally, I think, and you can see that in some of the, uh, the 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 league tables, if you like, for for LGBT rights across Europe and across the world. That Scotland has historically performed very very well. More recently, we've we've started to slip down that table, so we have to keep the government and um, the, the feet to the fire, as we say uh, here in Fife. Mickey, you you know that. You, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have to keep their their feet to the fire on some of the commitments that they've made. We have to keep that that march for equality, that march for change. Um, you, we have to keep that happening. We have to make that a reality for people. Um, there, there's already, you know, a huge number of uh, services and events and you know cultural. Uh, services as well that people can get involved in and that's fantastic to see and not just now in the cities in Edinburgh and Glasgow we're seeing it all across the country which is which is amazing um 
but people need to feel safe and that's probably one of the biggest challenges is increasing hate crime increasing discrimination um you know we're at the the highest level of discrimination against lgbt people since hate crime legislation was introduced more than 11 years ago so in, in, in each almost each of those 11 years it has increased so what, what are we doing to tackle that? You know, that's where organisations like us and like lots of the LGBT groups across the country come in to help tackle that in their local communities. Because that won't be done from, you know, Westminster or from Holyrood or on Twitter. Definitely not on Twitter. It has no. to come from local people challenging that themselves. Pride, Scotland's March for Equality. Mickey, what's your favourite memory or pride? Or it can be memories, you can have more than one. Yeah, well, the, the problem with Pride is, is that you never remember most of it. And if you did remember it, then you weren't there. Um, but for me, the, the, the big one that I went to and the one that sticks in my mind was um, the one in, in London. It was at Finsbury Park. It was called The Big Gay Out. And uh, there was me, there was a couple of friends, and we got the train down. And we managed to somehow wangle first class of the train. <laughs> I don't know how. But we were sitting there with bottles of wine. And by the time we got to London, we were, we're definitely in party mode. <laughs> but it was just such a brilliant weekend. We're at Finsbury Park. The sun was shining. Super sister were on they were singing coffee look it up before your time uh, but it was just an absolutely brilliant atmosphere and then after that everybody ended up in old compton street uh, in soho and it would just kind of filled the streets and it was just a it was just a party it was just absolutely brilliant but i can say one thing for sure the train journey back wasn't as much fun as the train journey down was everyone quiet on that train journey back? Oh, aye, aye. Like, stop moving it's moving again it's moving stop moving aye I mean, like you, most of my amazing memories from Pride are party memories, like from the likes of uh, of singing with it. I had to, I borrowed a lighter off someone once when All Saints were singing Pure Swords at Manchester Pride so that I could you know, sway it in the air. <laughs> the guy was raging, I think I kept it. <laughs> or um, seeing Kelly Lorena at Gran Canaria Pride and just uh, all six of us like linking arms and just dancing all night. I mean, there's so many amazing, great party memories of Pride. But one of the things that really stood in my mind was uh, a couple of years ago after I hosted Glasgow Pride, mm. my mum came. All right. And I can't imagine my mum would ever have been at a Pride. She went, oh, yeah, we, we came in Pride. We went out after it. It was a bit busy for us. Uh, she was there with her, our mates. They don't like busy pubs. You know, like a seat. Mm. Right? <laughs> like a seat. Like a bit, I, you don't get a seat at Pride. I like a seat at Pride as well. But anyway. <laughs> Did they bring their wee folding camp chairs? No, they didn't, thankfully. She wouldn't have gotten They had camp chairs and their camp son on the same day. Hey. No, but that was quite a nice memory for me. And then my mum getting really excited about different prides. She was like, all right, can I come next year? I'm like, if you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you behave yourself, not give me a showing up. But I didn't even know you'd hosted it. Yeah, for um, the last three, or not last year, but for the last four years before that, yeah. Five all years right, you're regular at this. Oh, aye. Right. Well, I like the pride. Nobody tells me anything. So, yeah, I mean, that's, there's loads of pride stories. And I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm sure you've got even more ground that you're not going to share with us on this podcast because oh. I know what you're like. Do you know what? I'm now at the point, why not? I've shared everything else. So everything's out there. I've got nothing else to hide. <laughs> this is what I love about working with you because I just kind of, I'm like, huh, I'm the innocent young man sitting here in the corner. I'm the good boy. Is this why you agreed? Because you find out I was doing it right. He'll say something worse than me. I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I, did, I kind of went through my list of, uh, list of Bauer gays, right? Uh, who work for the company and I was having a look through and I was like oh no 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 oh no he'll give me a show on it no no Grant Grant I definitely Grant let's get Grant on it and it's good because you made me look really good can I have a copy of that list <laughs> <laughs> so sadly this is our, our last podcast do you think we'll get a second series <sighs> not after what we've talked about in this one I don't think so <laughs>
We're too high risk for that. <laughs> no, it's been good done. I, I want to say a special thanks to everybody uh, who, who came on to have a chat with us and share their experiences. And uh, it's just been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank a couple of people, um, our boss Victoria for putting this together because thank you so much for letting us do this. Uh, producer Kat who had to edit hours and hours of me and Mickey talking absolute filth and nonsense. I'm wondering what she's going to do with the bits that we didn't use. No, she's going to this delete it because it, it will end our career. This is what My career. The, the Christmas party <laughs> in 2024 when we get back to normal. These are all going to get played. No, but seriously, uh, most of all though, thank you to you for downloading mm. and thank you for listening. Hopefully you've learned something. It, it might not be anything <laughs> useful. <laughs> We've learned a lot about you, Grant, that's for sure. Oh, like, can we go out? <laughs> you got an appointment with the clinic again. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening to these podcasts. And if you have been affected by any of the topics discussed, please visit scottpridepodcast.co.uk for any help and advice that you might need. Pride. Scotland's March for Equality. Pride. Scotland's March for Equality is brought to you by pinksaltire.com. Now, Mickey, Pink Saltire are Scotland's leading charity, providing hardship relief and responding to the needs of LGBT people at a time of crisis and building back better. Doing a brilliant job as well, and you can learn more about them and get involved in making change happen by heading to their website. It's pinksaltire.com.